I have just been speaking to Steve again. Our second conversation. And this time we go into the tree body a lot. And hmm, what do they call it? I don't even remember. There was some 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 term of of Steve's that he was referring to, but kind of playing with the other reality. There's this physical reality of where we are, how we are in the world, but then there's this entire inner landscape of to explore. Let's put it that way. And we do that quite a lot in here. We we go in and we explore. Hopefully inspiring some of you listen to this to try something new out. So dive in and have fun. the mic you've got there it is quite the mic i've got there um i've actually positioned it just so so that the lamps that i have in the room behind me don't just show like really really obviously on the screen because that makes it look so weird so plus it's actually better because i shouldn't be so far away from it but it kind of normally be so yeah so you don't have to project as much. Precisely. Shout, shout Precisely. to the microphone. Yeah. You're up early, but this is not your, you've been up for an hour or something already. That's I'm right. Guessing. I have. I've been up for an hour. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I frequently get up at five. Um, I find my body actually doesn't really give me much choice most days. I just wake up at 4.30, 5.30, something silly like that. And I'm just awake. So, so yeah. And I, I get up and write a little bit most mornings. Um, I find it's a good time to do some writing. It's not very premeditated. So I can just, just comes. get up and write stuff that just kind of comes from deeper without thinking too much about it. Mm. It's funny how much thought is the enemy of, <laughs> or some kinds of thought anyway, are sort of the enemy of, uh, of freedom, sort of the kind of creative freedom, I think. So what do you... Those writings that you do in the morning, are those just for you, just for the heck of it? Just there's nothing like you don't do anything with them or. It varies. Most of the time it's, most of the time it's, uh, active imagination sessions of one sort or another. So they're, they're a kind of, uh, they're a kind of depth journaling or image journaling. I have a interior world I've kind of been exploring for the last year. That's got a very definite geography and definite places, many of which have got names now. Some of them don't, some of them I just call by various things, but I don't, I don't know what their names are. Um, but there, there are places where I encounter, I encounter my shadow selves, the different things I've kind of hidden or buried. So I do my, um, internal family systems work there too, that another, another type of kind of, uh, psychological work. So 
most mornings I, I try to sit quietly and see if something will emerge or if I can get into that space and have things happen there. Um, if that doesn't happen, then other things will come or I'll have ideas. So sometimes the notebook does fill up with things that are, you know, ideas for paintings or ideas for something to write or, but most often I would say probably three quarters of the time it's, it's something from that interior world. And it's the, it's the, it's the border between waking and dreaming in a lot of ways. Do so, you record dreams too? Yes. Yes. Though not often anymore. I used to record them virtually every morning. Um, and I don't as much anymore. I found going back and looking back over the dreams that they didn't, they didn't build to anything. They weren't, they weren't going anywhere. And it, did you, it felt, but, they felt but very you, random. Yeah. Did you? simply merely write them down or did you yeah. and you didn't do any type of dream analysis on them or with them no no i didn't no i i don't usually try to analyze the dreaming part uh, i do some of that with the interior work mm -hmm. although even there i'm not i don't i don't think i would call it straight white straight at analysis but there's an awareness that things in that space mean things, mm -hmm. um, and the meanings will kind of come to me much the way the images do or the characters do that, that populate that space. Um, some of the characters recur. I see them, I see them often and gradually I, I begin to understand what their role is in the space or the, what their role is in my life. Some of the characters are just parts of me. There's a couple of characters that I think are more complicated than that. And I believe they're actually part, partly me and partly from beyond me. So. Cause it's, it's interesting, this thing of, of both the writing itself, where 2014, I got a lovely notebook by my then coach that I just started working with Carla and I started to write a journal every morning, but there's something in me that makes what I write want to be seen, published, so that usually what I write, I publish, I mean, on a blog post or, or something. It's like there's right. quite, there's just a few things that I, that I sort of hold on to for me, keep, keep within me. So when I then finished that book, it was like, okay, I'm, it kind of frustrates me to write it by hand because then I have to retype it. You know, it was like, right. so I have a morning pages document instead that I kind of uh. write in and a lot of that, not everything again, and not everything gets finished kind of, but a lot right. of it turns into blog posts. Um, so I've, I've, and, and it, it turns into a blog post, even though that isn't necessarily my intent, you know, it's like, it's not as if here, I have this thing, I want to write it and publish it. It's like, I want to write and it wants to be published. Right. No, I think I understand that. Yeah. 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 So you begin just writing cause you're writing. You don't have a, you don't have a, a, a goal in mind 
terms of it being publishable or not. It's just that more often than not, it turns out to be publishable. Yes. Yeah. And how much, how much shaping do you need to do of them afterwards before you, they really, you know, editing or whatever, before they're really ready to be put, put out? So I'm, I, I would say that they probably need more than I give them. That's well, that, I think that's true for everybody. That's, that's one of the things that I'm, uh, a little lackadaisical about. It's like, I can, you know, I just kind of skim it and, and put it out there, but doing story skills workshop last year, a year ago, um, I actually kind of saw that pieces do get better if you kind of sleep on them and if you maybe you share oh, okay. them and get some feedback and clarify and, and stuff like that so i've i i would say i still don't do that enough or as often as maybe it could be warranted but but on the other hand kind of having gotten that insight it does mean that I'm a little bit more careful with the pieces that I, I, I put out. I do try to read them through more thoroughly than I did before story skills. Oh. Um, yeah. Yeah. So reading, I, I, reading, reading your posts, um, I'm always struck by the fact that I can hear your voice. So, um. Personally, I would hate if you edited them to the point where that got lost at all. And, and I, and you, and you probably could edit them more and not lose that. I'm sure. But there's a kind of, um, immediacy to them that is, I think, partly from the fact that they're not overly edited. So I don't know. It's like when I look at past paintings of mine and I, and I see there's always, there's always, there's always many ways to look at them, of course, but one of them is to see it and think, oh, wow, I should have, I should have cleaned up that little section right there. Or I, that, that, that line is not, is not, you know, smooth. And I could have, I could have worked that a little bit, or, you know, the paint in that particular section looks a little rough and unfinished. And, uh, maybe I needed to have spent a little more time on that section. And then, um, but there's a. There's a degree of polish you could put into a piece of work that kills it. Yeah. Right. The, the breathe, the breathing that it does as to, as a piece of art oftentimes is from the fact that there's a little bit of roughness still yeah, or a little yeah. accident or spontaneity. And, and it's, I just got the other week from, from Gail, uh, who's also forward link, um, that same thing. She, she sent me a, an email back responding to one of my posts saying precisely that I can hear your voice when I'm uh -huh. reading this. And it's like, this is so you, it's like, it's, it's very uh -huh. synced, which made me really happy. And you've said it before too. And it's, it's like, I think I've kind of my, my spoken voice and my written voice, they've kind of leaned together. They've come uh -huh. together because, you know, I started blogging. It's almost 10 years ago in, in August of 2012 is when I started blogging. I've written a lot, but that has been just professional stuff. I basically haven't written anything other than boring reports and, and standard operating procedures and product test protocols and whatnot. But I've done a lot of that on the other hand, right? 
And it's as if my having then written two and a half thousand blog posts, it's like, it's, it's coming together so that my, I think my, I've written so much that my writing does influence what I speak or how I speak, uh -huh. but also the other way around, how uh -huh. I speak influences the writing. So I feel that they've, they've merged somehow. Yeah. And when I read your writing, I hear you in uh, two or three different ways. And I'm, I'm kind of aware of that when I read it, um, because there are other people that whose work I read, you know, like Matthew, Matthew Wordbank, for instance, when I read his work, I also hear his voice. Um, I don't know that. I, I, and again, you, you wouldn't be certain you're hearing their voice if you didn't actually hear them speak yeah. right on zoom calls or something else. Right. But since I have I've had the privilege, of course, at talking to to be able to hear Matthew Wordbank's spoken voice. Um, it's been wonderful then to read his work and hear like you, I hear his voice. Um, so, but I'm also aware then sometimes when I'm hearing it, how I'm hearing it. Right. So when I listen to you or listen to your voice, listen, when I read, um, there's a couple of things. First, there's a, there's a, a way you use English, which is a little different, partly because I think it's, it's not your first language, right? So, so as a result, you choose words or put words together a little differently than, an, particularly than I think that an American would do it. And those are, are delightful and absolutely new and absolutely different. Um, and I hear them, I, when I, you know, I, and when I'm reading writing by UK English friends, as opposed to American English friends, I can, I can hear or sit or, or feel the, the, um, more British influence in it. Um, or, um, uh, there's one other person I was just thinking of and, and now it slips, slips my mind anyway. So that's one thing. The other is you have a, you have a very specific way that you stack your thoughts up to get to where you're going. And you do it both when you speak, when you're telling a story to me here, for instance, but, and also when you write and again, it's, it's, it's not like so different or unusual, um, that it's peculiar or eccentric in any way. It's not, it's very, it's, it's a, it's a really organized and very, um, thoughtful approach, but there is just a particular, it's like, it's like you're stacking blocks up and there's just a certain way that you tilt the blocks or something. It's the Helena. And I hear that, in, I hear that in there too. And then of course, there's always, you know, both you, Matthew, um, uh, Linda, Linda McLaughlin, anybody that I read online, right. Um, there, there's a way there's, there's the, what you're saying, there are certain topics that are of interest to you. And so, and they have a particular shape or color to them as well, that after you read enough of them, you're like, oh yeah, this is the kind of thing that Helena would write about, or this, yes, this fits right in there next to this other thing over here, uh, that I read, that I read two months ago, whatever. So it's all three of those things. I think that are, are ways in which your, your writing is very you. And I think I, I would have to believe that the two and a half thousand blog posts has a significant role to play and how clear all of that is, right? Especially yeah. that last one where it's about topics of interest and how they, how they fall into certain categories, but they're all very much, you know, a set of categories that I, that I'm not surprised to see or hear you writing about. Um, I think that's something that comes with a, a lot of writing. 
uh, as I guess the same for maybe my painting where I've got four or five different kinds of work that I now do. And for a while, when I was doing that, it felt like I was all over the place. And now it doesn't feel like I'm all over the place. It feels like, oh, I just have, you know, I have, uh, country houses in three different countries. So I just, I just go to visit them from time to time, but I've done a lot of living in all of them now. And so it's, it's, you know, it, they, they, they all feel like mine, but they're, they're some of them quite different from each other, but they, but they all feel like mine. Yeah. And, and I agree. And it's, it's fun to hear you speak about my writing and my speaking, putting shapes and colors on them. <laughs> what I have done when I have looked at my writing and how I speak, but more my writing, I have put tones to them. I have put tempo. I have put music uh -huh. into them. Uh -huh. uh, but then I, you know, I'm a choir singer. I, well, I fumble <laughs> like a guitar. I dancer. Yeah. So it's like, I come from, from that. And so it's, it's fun to hear you putting colors and in, in like, that is, that is your tool, right? That is your yeah. skill set. That's the way you yeah, come my, at the world. That's my yardstick. <laughs> that's your yardstick precisely. And you know, it would be fun then to see if somebody who's, I don't know, who's, um, a sculptor, what would they, how would they like, you know, would it be more 3d somehow? Oh, yeah. Or a landscape architect. <laughs> yeah. 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 Gardener, you know, right. would it then be different right. types of gardens or parks or, you know, it's like, this right. is the wild one or no, this is very ornamental and Baroque right. garden, whatever. Right. Right. Uh, or someone who writes travelogues, right. Yeah. <laughs> would they describe yeah. it in terms of different sorts of, uh, different sorts of, uh, exterior, external environments, you know, <laughs> oh, this is like, this sounds like a Spanish plaza. <laughs> yeah, yeah, precisely, precisely. It's like, and, and I, I so enjoy that. And I'm going to tie this together to the dreams because for the past year, I've been writing down dreams, not all of them, but some of them. And mm -hmm. then I've been bringing some of those into my process oriented therapy. Mm -hmm. And Dominic is quite skilled at, you know, he's done a lot of dream work himself for many, many years in, in, you know, he's a really good therapist as well. So with him, these dreams kind of grow in dimension. They, they reveal things that just land in me as, oh, this was the message, not in analyzing, oh, here I'm wrong and I should be doing this, but, but rather it's like, it's like fleshing out a story. It's like I come with, and my dreams are actually quite often, quite detailed, quite, mm -hmm. you know, they have that weird dream quality of like going from you're in this place context and then bam something happens and you're in a plaza in Spain you know and you don't know how that transfer takes place and why are the people that you're now with they weren't there just a fraction of a second ago but but they're quite detailed but 
what we together can discover, uh, like stepping into these dreams, putting myself into them again with Dominic there as someone who, you know, mirrors, asks questions, mm -hmm. shines a light on, opens a door. Um, it's, it's been really, really interesting to, because it feels as if some of them, I've had a pattern recurring in dreams for many, many years of, of not being on time, missing the bus, the plane, the train, the whatever. We did a lot of work with one of those themed dreams and bang, it's like, ha, ah, now got it. It's like, finally, you know, after 49 years, I got it. <laughs> like message received, right? And since then, I think I've had one dream like that. Uh, that wasn't as frustrating as they usually are. They are uh -huh. usually so frustrating. I, you know, I wake up and my like heart's pounding and I'm, I'm so distraught yeah. at this. And, and this time, and it was like half a year with none of these dreams. And then I had it not that long ago. And it was not at all that same distraught in me. It was much more of a, ah, yeah, I remember that thing. Um, so it was more like a little, just a little reminder, just a little flashback, you know. Don't forget that thing that you saw. Uh, so I've been... I've been really helped by, like you say, I wouldn't say analyzing. I would say stepping into them. Like, yeah, you know, just, just thinking about, okay, there's a cup in my, in my dream. What does cups mean to me? What's in the cup? How am I holding, you know, what's going on with this cup? Right. Uh, which I guess is the type of analyzing, but it doesn't feel analytical analyzing maybe that's the thing you're not like you're not like mapping things to a definition or or, or trying to uh, identify things per no. se all you're doing is letting them unfold right yeah. o open yeah. further it's like yeah. you know when you're when you're there in the dream the thing goes by so fast you know and yeah. you're in the experience and then if you could step back from it like you can when you're in a therapy session right you can step back from the dream and you've written it down, so you've got all the details there to kind of recall them to mind. And you can step back. I, I, I've done this too. You, if you write a dream down, you can step back into it. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's. Yeah. By the way, it's that. It's that. It's the way. The way that you find yourself awake, speaking to Dominic, but also back in the dream, yeah. and able to act in the dream. Like you could pick something up and look into it. In a way that and feel into it. Yes, yes, but right? but there's also this way in which it feels like you're or like almost like you're back in the dream and doing it again. Yes, but only a part of you, and the rest of you is like watching and talking to Dominic, yeah. right? It's it's that it's that split sort of that's required to do the AI work, the 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 um the active imagination work, the deep the mm. deep the deep journaling where a part of you is able to be in this place 
I, I, refer, I refer to it, I'm, I think other people do too. Arthur Mandel refers to it this way also. It's being in the dream body. Yeah. There's a, there's a dream body that's able to act also. And um, you, can, you can train yourself or get to a place where you can let your dream body act as spontaneously while you're awake in that space as when you're dreaming. So you don't have to be asleep to yeah. let it act. No, precisely. It's hard though to keep, to, to not interfere, to merely observe and write down um, and let it unfold. And it's, it's easy to lose the contact or lose the, the uh, you know, to interfere in the, in the freedom in a way that the whole thing just kind of shuts down. It sort of collapses almost like a balloon popping. But it's interesting. I mean, the process-oriented therapy that Dominic does—that is Arnold Mendel's stuff. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So he's he's the inventor of this way of doing. Okay, okay. Therapy. I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. So it was fun to hear you pop his name because it's like, yeah, uh, yeah, that's it, right? So that's what that's what happens. It's like Dominic observes me. I observe myself because I also have that thing, mm -hmm. but, but he observes me, you know, he, he picks up on hand movements or he senses into that. My stomach uh -huh. is just oh, clenching. So he encourages me stay with this. You know, if I'm moving my hands in a particular way, as I'm talking, he goes, okay, stay with that. Move your hands more that way. What's there? Yes. What is that thing? Right? So it is an amplification of, 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 of like both the words, but also the movements and also the feelings, the energies that are like very much there and, and part of this whole thing. Uh, and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Um, uh -huh. and Again, it's, it's fun to, I mean, this is, this is what I love, right? I love this <laughs> aspect of finding more of me because that's the feeling I have. It's like, I find more of me yeah. when I'm doing this and I find more of me doing it together with Dominic than what I would if I didn't do it together with somebody else. And that's yeah. why also these conversations are so important for me because when, when I share thoughts I've had, what experiences, et cetera. It's like, I, I, I flesh it out, me out somehow. It's like, I, I find yeah. more of me in it. Yeah. It's, it's like a, you realize that, well, I'll, I'll, I'll go back to an example, very, a very recent example from my own, my own interior work. I've been, you know, exploring this internal space and at one point it dawned on me that I have been spending all of the time in one direction only from the place that is considered, that I, that I consider to be the center of it and never anything in the other direction. So it's like an entire half of me was just missing. It wasn't even there. And I, 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 at one point I had a breakthrough where I discovered not only that that half was there, realized that while doing the session. But also realize that entire section, that entire half is dark. It, it, it's never day there. It's always only night. I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's not a, it's not a, it is a place where I've hidden some of the things I most want to keep hidden from myself, but it's not a, it's a, it's a friendly kind of 
dark space, night space. I didn't realize that at first. Um, and I found it very difficult to penetrate that space and get into that space at all, to, to have my dream body actually go there. And then the things I've been encountering on that side don't work the same way as the things I encounter on the other side. The things I encounter on the other side are, they're not always verbal, but they always translate readily into words in some way. So I'm, I'm usually able to describe what things are or what they mean or what the shadow characters I encounter, the shadow parts of myself that I encounter are trying to say. Sometimes they do speak in words, but it's very seldom. Um, but, but even if they don't, the gestures and other things are all very obvious. Um, not, not so much on the darker side, on the darker side, the night side, it's, there are lots of broad poetic gestures and they don't, they don't add up to anything in particular that I could figure out. Um, some of them actually make me feel like almost had a physical change in my body when they occur in my real body, my physical body, once they've occurred, but I couldn't begin to tell you what I, what I think just happened there. Um, I could describe for you what happened because it's all very visual. I could, I can, you know, there's. I've written down what, what went on, who did what, what they looked like, <laughs> how it felt even in some cases, but I don't know what it means. And that's unusual for me because, um, I had another friend recently tell me that almost all of my work and all of my writing and thinking goal seems to be about finding meaning, finding, taking things that are not, uh, mm -hmm. immediately apparent and then finding the meaning, you know? And I'll do it with obvious things too. I can be Mr. Obvious for sure and state the thing that everybody else already knows. But for me, I'm just looking at the stuff and saying, look, it's, it's this. And it's, you know, and I'm just so, so struck by that, that I have to say it out loud. So, but, but I do, I can do it too with things that are not at all, not obvious at all. Um, and that's the, that's apparently a, a gift of mine and I've used it for teaching and I've spent a lot of my career teaching and, and mentoring and guiding. Um, and then it will make sense, but on this night side, I, I, there's, I couldn't tell you what the meanings are. I can tell how meaningful things are sometimes almost like on a scale or to a degree, right? Like it was a temperature reading I could almost take, but I couldn't describe to you what's, what it's about. Not really. And that's, that's been fascinating in its own right. Um, it, it also had never rained there. Never. It's an outdoor space. It's got a, it's got a, it's got a town in the middle of it. Um, but it's never rained there. So it finally did because I, I made, made an effort to, to experience things that would allow that. And it did finally rain there. And the riverbed that's been dry all along, finally had water flow through it. And the riverbed turns out to be what connects the night side and the day side. And there had been almost no Congress between the two because there had never been any rain. Mm -hmm. So and again, the, what does this all mean? I know that the rain is about some of the emotions. I don't let myself feel readily. American males, males in many parts of the world have, have been trained not to experience things like grief or disappointment or frustration or, uh, uh, you know, uh, humiliation, those kinds of things are all things that they convert into anger instead, and then, and often, and then from there worse into action. And so, um, I know, I know that for me, the, 
internal rain and tears and those, what I call more passive emotions, the ones you have to just sort of sit with, you can't really do anything with them. Uh, they're linked. All of that's linked together. And so that's been a lot of the work I've been, I've had to do. Uh, when you spoke of anxiety and anxiety dreams, right? The not getting, not getting someplace on time or missing the bus or, um, yeah, we, our family refers to those. I think I've read about them as, as, as anxiety dreams. Um, and they have, they have a certain set number of combinations of patterns that are very common among people. If you talk to people about, you know, I showed up and I was the only one not wearing trousers or, you know, I, I, uh, I, I could not remember the combination to the lock on my locker as a kid and I can't get to class because, or I haven't been to class for the first three weeks of class and I can't show up now. <laughs> right. Or I, or you're late. You're late or something and you can't, yep. Yep. those are, those are such common forms of it. Um, and they're apparently almost universal that people feel these now, what they mean to them and what they would unfold into if they could sit with the walker, I suspect would be different for every person, but we all have that in common. Um, I bring that up because in my interior space, anxiety is a character. Um, he. It is a he in my case. Um, I'm very aware that of, oftentimes of the gender of the different, at different beings inside me, and they're not all male. Um, the anxiety of those male, he's, he shows up as a large rectangular hulking black figure. But if I can get a different kind of light shown on him so that I can see what he really looks like, he's a boldly older man with a green bathrobe that doesn't quite fit. And he's wearing mismatched socks. Oh, poor thing. <laughs> and he's often sitting and on his lap is a hot water bottle and it's empty. Okay. So this is, this is anxiety as he actually is in my space. And he shows up with a bag at his waist that hangs off of his belt. It's a cloth bag, um, almost a stereotypical, you know, middle ages wallet, right? It's a, it's just a bag of cool, but it's not coins inside. It's knuckle bones. So he and I have to play knuckleballs on a relatively regular basis. If we don't, then the anxieties build up and I just find myself feeling more and more breathless when things go wrong in the real world, I can't handle them well, but if we play knucklebones fairly often and I keep that bag fairly clear, we're okay. So what happens is he casts the bones and when he does, I always have a sense of about how many there are, you know, and if it's like seven or eight, I've waited too long. But it's fine. We're going to deal with it now. Right? So I pick them up one by one and, and, and they always are something and letting them be what they are and letting them find their place. And for me to understand what they are and then put them back where they go, which isn't back in the knucklebox game, it's someplace else is how I deal with that anxiety. I make it not a thing I'm not thinking about but I turn it into something I am considering. And I do get some understanding of what it is that I've been worried about. Sometimes they turn out to be an anxiety only because I'm not acknowledging them. It's really a fear. Fears and anxieties are different. As a, as my boss tells me, sometimes fear is your friend. Fear is telling you you're not prepared or that you're not ready for something or that, you know, something needs, needs, needs your attention. Um, listen to that fear. Um, and if I don't, it will become an anxiety. It just becomes a sort of general feeling of dread 
that I haven't got a name even for, but if I can make it specific, then I'm like, oh, I'm worried about that meeting next week. And yes, I don't have my stuff together for that yet. Maybe I'll spend some time on that today. And when I do, the anxiety and fear both go away. Um, but others are not like that. They're just very, very general. Um, for instance, just, you know, my, my own death is one that shows up relatively often. I think most of us have a, some sense of our own mortality, even if we don't acknowledge it most of the time. And so that's one that shows up from time to time. There are anxieties about wasted time. You know, I'm 61. There's many things I have not done that I would like to have. So I have a sense of that sometimes. Um, and the knuckle bones are always, like I said, they're always a shape. Sometimes they become something I can do something with that I can keep. They're in my pocket now. They're a, they're a tool I can use. There's, there's five or six of those now. Some of them are actually written on a piece of paper up between the, between the, on the wall, between the windows of my studio here. And I'll walk over and look at it and it'll, it'll, it'll say things, you know, what those are. And I'm reminded occasionally of them. And sometimes I look over there and realize, oh yeah, I need to use that right now on this. Um, some of them operate in the dream space. That's the only place they operate. Others, I actually have gestures or moves I make here in the studio with my real body in order to use that object here. It's, it's all, I, I, I think everything is a whole lot more deliciously complicated than we'd like ordinarily to make it. And this is all part of that. It's so fascinating to hear you speak about this because it's so embodied listening to you. It's, it's like, this is embodied. This is you experiencing these things. This yeah. is you playing yeah. knuckle bones with anxiety. Yeah. It's like. It, it feels very, it feels very real. Uh, yes. It's extremely physical in a number of ways. Um, the first time I ever encountered anxiety in that space and played knuckle bones with them, we were, oh, way back up. I had, I had on a previous vacation done a whole series of small artworks, several were small abstracts. One of them was on the wall right here behind me on the, in the studio for weeks after that. And I only found out in some of the, in some of the internal dreaming that that was a map that was not just an abstract. It was a map and there was a small red squarish shape in the center of it, which it turned out I had two weeks worth of encounters on that space. And I didn't know what that space was. I mean, I, I knew where it was in the dream space, but I didn't know until anxiety stepped out onto it and everything went dark because that's how he operates to light him up the right way. Um, everything went dark. The ground we were sitting on went red. And that's when I realized it was that shape. And then I also realized that it was my own tongue. Oh, we were playing knuckle bounds in a space, oh, probably 15 by 20 feet in, in, in set in size. And it was my own tongue. And that's where we were playing knuckle bounds. So yes, it's very physical and sometimes it's extremely bugged and all of that's relatively new for me. I mean, our last conversation, we were talking about, you know, being more in the body and, and doing things in a more embodied way, right? And you were counseling things like, uh, get out barefoot, which I have done. Um, and, 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 you know, and me talking about how sometimes I just get up and free farm dance here in the studio in order to unlock something or, or unclench something or figure something out. Um, the, the dream work 
had been always very, very visual and not very physical. And it's increasingly become more and more whole body, whole body experiences. Now, um, one of the times it was raining, I was lying on my back, cold rain was falling on me and all around me. I was very physical. I mean, I was carried shivering up onto the boat and, and down into the cabin of the boat or to be dried out afterwards. I was, I was so shivering by the end of it. So yes, it's, it can be very physical. It's, it's part of me hopes that at the end of life, we just sort of go off into that space <laughs> in a deeper way and, and take up residency there. I don't, I, you know, or, or maybe just dissipate off into that space. I don't know which, either one I would be content. Mm. So this, this way of you, like being in relation with your dream body, in a sense, that's what I hear. It's like, mm -hmm. it's you and your dream body. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's action going on there. Is that something that is like new to you or have you done that your entire life or it's like. It's relatively new. I did back, back when I was in my twenties, I had read the Carlos Castaneda books about, um, Castaneda books about, uh, Don Juan Matus, the, the, uh, Yaki sorcerer, um, the man of knowledge and the book journey to expand has been a book that I've read many times over the course of my life. But while I read it, I was fascinated by it and it resonated with me. Even that very first time I read it, I didn't really understand the concepts being described in the book at all. Um, I believe the concepts in the book are probably possible or can be lived out in many different ways or different dimensions. But one of the ways I understand it, I think it's one of the ways Arnold Vendell understands it, is that the, the, the is, is that the dream body is is this this internal being or part of you that that has different sets of powers and different abilities. Um, and I think once I made that connection several years ago, no, it's been probably only two or three years. Um, the internal dream work and other work started taking on this much more. Uh, deeper meaning and deeper import. And once, once the painting started getting linked and mixed up with it, um, it was like, you know, pouring jet fuel on it. Yeah. Um, and then, um, it's just, it's just gradually grown from there. Um, uh, it, it, it feels now it feels like if I, if I encounter anything that's got, I'll, I'll just call it the same thing that the, the books call it power. If I encounter anything that's got power in it, the kind of energy, the sort of psychic energy that you can feel in things, then, um, then I, I know I'm onto something there and I, I, I will explore that further. It's much the way, um, you know, when Dominic is listening to you with one of your dreams and he, he knows he can, he can tell from cues you give him that, oh, there's a lot more in that right there. Um, uh, and so we're going to spend some time here. Um, it's that you, you learn. And I'm sure you've learned it too, not just Dominic, right? You've learned where to sense where there's energy in something and you can work with that. You, you can learn how to work with that. Um, when I first started doing this too, it was like, 
um, am I just making this up? Is this just, you know, is this just, you know, pure fabrication? I don't know. Maybe it is, but I'm not all that concerned about that. I, and, it, and I could usually put that thought aside long enough to continue doing the work, which was important. Um, but now I'm fairly convinced that it's not just that simple that, that, you know, when you read almost any of the world's great religions and you quickly discover that at their heart and down at their foundations, there's this deep belief that we are much larger than we think we are, that the world we encounter every day is a, a very small thing we create with our rational minds for convenience and then defend with all our energy <laughs> to try to keep it rational. Um, and the reality is actually not like that. It's more complicated than that. And also that we are one with everything else. And by that, I just mean the way I've been picturing it lately is that, um, I picture reality being like the sea and each of the waves that pokes up from it and has a little bit of foam at the top, a little bit of white cap, right? Each of those waves is us, one of us. And all we are is just a little bubble up in the, in the larger reality of things. It's all one ocean. We're all the same thing, but each of the wave caps is unique and has its own point of view. It's also very temporary. It's only there for a moment and then it's gone. And that's kind of what we're all like in my mind. That's, that's exactly what's up is that, you know, and so I'm okay with going back into the rest of the ocean at some point. And I'm also really fascinated with and thoroughly enjoying being this wave right now. Mm -hmm. Right. And exploring what else that means, which means that, you know, I'm not just this wave, but I could consider myself to be the whole ocean. Which reminds me, yesterday I listened to a pod um, I found a couple of months ago. There's an Alla What's Being in the Way pod that's fairly yeah. new. And the eighth episode was released not that long ago. Well, maybe yesterday even. It's called Man and Nature. Uh. Man, it's a good one. Shit, it's good. And he points to this thing. He says... He speaks about it as if, you know, we're the universe. The universe is us. It's like, we're, yep. we're all. And it's just, yeah. he just does it in such a, it was really, really, that's one of the episodes I'm going to listen to again and again and again, because it was really just opening in, yes. in such a cool way into this understanding and bringing it home to what you speak to it's like i am here doing doing helena at the moment right and i'm all of the stars and all of the galaxies you know it's like so so this yeah. the the both and of that is just yeah it was i truly recommend it so what's the name of this podcast? Being in the Way, Alan Watts. You say Alan Watts? Alan Watts. Okay. I will definitely be looking at that or listening to that. Yeah. 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 He's, he's, um. I, I so like him in so many ways. I spoke 
but I think me and Matthew and and Inma in the second episode speaks about him too. But he has this way where he he laughs at himself, uh-huh. and I just love it because he's uh-huh. just so enjoying himself, not in a conceited way, not in a he's just so there. Uh-huh. Um, and it's just yeah, it's it's I I get a lot of. opening from listening to him yeah it is it is yeah. cool and this this like it is this power thing in a sense it is this seeing it being in it or with it and i wonder if it was there is an on being episode i don't remember who it was with i don't think it's robbie wall kimber it's somebody who sounds kind of like her Speaking about key or chi, and yeah. she maybe it was Robin Walker. Regardless, whoever it was spoke about key wanting us to use that as a word when we speak about the trees out there, that key over there, because it has that power rather than yes. it itting it, right? Just is, yeah. so it's a way of saying he or she or key. Oh uh, yeah, okay. Which I, I love that. It was so interesting to listen to that thing, and it is this thing that we are speaking about. It is this life force. It is this energy um, that we need to honor. I think that's what she yeah. kind of put onto it. If we eat something. We are distancing ourselves from it and making it inanimate. You know, it's like, it's, it's just an object, but if we key it, we, we bring it or we honor the soul of the thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, so yeah, I'll see if I can, I'll find that podcast and see, uh, I'll put it in the show notes, but I'll send it to you too. That's um, really wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah. When you, again, when I first started doing any of this, I was wondering, yeah, if it was like my imagination or was it something, you know, was there something real here? Something, something besides me involved. Um, and this is what I would say to anybody who was interested in starting any of this kind of work, right? It, it grows. You begin with the smallest, smallest beginnings, acknowledging and stepping out of, of the rational into the uh, supernatural, the transcendent, whatever you want to call it in the, in the smallest ways possible to begin with, you just let yourself do something silly. And the Drey Ixlan is full of this because it's literally one chapter after another of Don Juan taking, um, Carlos and, uh, embarrassing him out of his highly stuffed up, stuffy academic self, right. By getting him to do things like speak out loud to plants. Talk to the plants, <laughs> speak gently to it, tell it how much you love it. <laughs> right. And you know, and Carlos can't do it. There's no way he can do it until he's frightened half out of his mind. And Don Juan says, the only way they're going to probably get out of there alive is if he speaks to the plants. And then finally he's down on his knees speaking, <laughs> speaking to this plant for all he's worth. Um, it, it's, uh, but it's, it's, those, it's little things and you'll, you'll get a notion that you could 
do something and it might feel like ridiculous or it might seem like, why would I do that? Um, if you let yourself cross the line into that space, do that thing, you'll find that the next time you get a stronger signal, you get more details and it feels more natural. And eventually it becomes, it becomes more and more normal to do. The other thing is that eventually you can use it to overlap across the boundaries between the different sounds. Now you, you will eventually learn how to, I've learned how to allow that activity to get into my pinks. I can let my hands act from that space rather than from this one. That's my left hand, my non-dominant hand is particularly good at that. It's why I use it that way. Um, I also find if I draw with my eyes closed, mm-hmm. that it works better, that I can come through more. I'm, I'm less able to interfere with what's coming through. Um, I have been able to hear things. We've talked about this before. I think I've been able to hear things from trees. I've had a very strong relationship with trees my entire life since I was very small. They've had a very special spot for me in, in, in all the living things, right? Um, and I've been able to hear from trees sometimes almost in words. It's, this is not a common thing. It's only happened a half a dozen times, maybe my whole life, but it's been a powerful experience when it's happened, but it happens more often now, and it's been happening more and more frequently because I accept it and act on it. Um, you, you make real these things by, by doing is what it is. And so anybody wanting to start this can begin at whatever way first shows up for them and then see where it leads. Honestly, all for all of us, I suspect it will be different. Right. But listening to you speak about this internal landscape and all of these things, it's like, it sounds as if, man, you can't do anything all day long. You're just busy doing this thing. But, <laughs> but it's like, how much do you, how much time do you like spend actively doing your writing and your painting? Because that's a part of it that yeah. I yeah. experience. Like, can I, I mean, you do anything else? No, I've got a full-time job and I have family and people live in the house here with us. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it, I, I have a very full life. Um, so no, this, this, this is probably, I mean, some days, none of it happens. Um, other days I might get up and do 30, 30, 40 minutes of it before getting on with other things. Uh, and that's, that might be the all, all I do. Um, the last, uh, week I managed to paint like five days in a row, five, five evenings in a row. I mean, I, my day, my day job is also creative and very demanding. So I end up, um, it's in the software industry. So I, I, I've, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of my creative energy before I get to five o'clock in the afternoon every day. And, uh, often in the evening, I have nothing, I have no energy I can use for something like paint or, or even or writing. Uh, so this, this is, this is something that tends to happen more on weekends and, uh, you know, uh, early, early morning and maybe a couple of evenings a week. So, um, and it's taken many, many years. It's taken at least the last five or six years, probably to, uh, begin on this more interior journey and the, the, the deepest stuff and the most descriptive stuff has only been the last 18 months. Uh, I mean, it began during around the time of the pro two workshop, actually the Akimbo workshop that, that really opened up a whole bunch of things. Yeah. Um, 
there's nothing also, there's nothing like finding out from somebody else that, oh, you too, you, you, you've been, you, you've done, you do something, it just, you know, we're, we're a social being and we, yeah, we, the reality, the reality that we make out either in the real world is one that we reinforce with each other constantly. We're used to that. So having that other reality and the other way of being reinforced by others can be incredibly, um, energizing, mm -hmm. you know, deeply, deeply confirming. Mm -hmm. Uh, and pro two did that for me. Mm. Uh, there were a couple of people, I mean, even the, even the phrase active imagination, I hadn't heard to call that before. I learned it a different way than at Anne-Marie Cruz did. Anne-Marie Cruz is the person I learned the phrase active imagination from at Pro2. Um, and I, I had been calling it uh, depth journaling from, uh, Ira Progoff's journaling techniques that are, are based on Carl Jung. So that's where I learned it. And then, uh, and she's got this completely different way of doing it from, I think a, a gentleman with the last name Johnston, um, that she's, that she, that she's been, you know, using his instructions to get into that space. Keith, Keith Johnston, the improv? Maybe. I, I'd person? have to go back. I'd have, I'd have to go back to notes. I have notes on, on, on a conversation with Anne Marie where she introduced me to that whole thing. And I was like, that sounds really familiar. But, but that's one of the things that I really, really like in 2014, I did super coach Academy, uh, which, uh, is something that it's a training that Michael Neal does. And it centers on the understanding of something that's called the three principles which I won't go into, but the interesting part for me about this is that when I was kind of through this academy nine-month process, the thrilling part for me is then to find what the three principles point to in other things. And I find it in Christianity and in Islam and in Judaism and in Buddhism and in Hinduism and in philosophy and the Stoics and that, you know, it's like, and, and that for me tells me that this is part of that power. This is part yep. of that thing that has always and already been there that, that just gets a different name, a different form. It takes on a shape in the Stoic form, in the early Christians, in the Hindus. You know, it's like, but it's the same thing. It's the same yes. life force that's just popping up and given a shape, a form, a texture, a color, a sound that speak to different people. So yes. maybe... You know, if you had found active imagination 20 years ago, you would have gone, uh, nah, not for me, right? Because maybe that wasn't the thing that would have attracted right. you. But if you found it this way, oh, yes. And then somewhere along the line, you can connect those dots, seeing that, That's oh, yeah, right. it's actually the same thing. And I just love doing that. So after I was through with Supercoach Academy, there's a lot of people who kind of stay in that bubble, uh, which, you know, whatever floats your boat, do that. For me, what floats my boat is to step out of Take the bubbles, <laughs> picking, getting into another bubble and fighting, huh, same thing. Jumping out of that one, diving into another bubble, finding it again and just you know, hopping along, connecting dots and just kind of mapping, mapping this common shared 
the shared experiences of being human, which I guess for me, because I'm human, is what it's, you know, what it is. And, yeah. and it's so, like you say, it's that little thing on a personal level, finding somebody else who does the same thing or who has yeah. had the same thought or who has started to step on the same path. It's like, oh, yeah. It's like, I'm not alone. I'm not a total freak. You know, it's like, right. oh, yeah, there's something here. It is really valuable. Yeah. Yes, it is very valuable. And I think it's, it's, I think it's, I thank you for, for answering that question of, of, you know, how much time do you spend on this? Because I think that's what keeps a lot of people from even stepping into it. Just by that little inch stepping in yeah. to the unknown, right? Yeah. Because you think that, oh, then I can't do anything else. And it's the same. I do that. You know, I have coach clients who's like, oh, you know, I want to, I want to write a book. How much do you write? Well, I don't write. Okay. Why don't you write? Well, I don't have time. And I'm like, rubbish. Of course you have time. If, if nothing else, you have five minutes when you're sitting on the toilet every morning, you know, right, right then, you know, I right. don't care. That's you right. You have time. You might not have as much time as you think that you need, but that's not, you know, you put, you make that into an excuse for why you don't yes. dare to step into it by that little inch. It's like, yeah. don't do that. Step in. Yes. Even, even if, if it's, it's just that, yeah, even if it's just that little bit, right? Even if it's just that little bit, yeah, you know, yeah. still five minutes in the morning, still half an hour in the evening, still an hour on the weekend, you know, find that thing and you can do the same thing here. It's like, oh, and when I started blogging, I think this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to start to kind of map down everything that I, that was bubbling inside of me. And I really didn't, I wrote like 10, 12 blog posts in four months or something until I stumbled upon blog hundred, which was blog doing dailies, basically, you know, a hundred yep. days of blogging. Um, then I, I took that time. That's what gave me the impetus to actually steal that time for myself. If it's, you know, a five minute, 10 minute, 15 minutes, just write something, put it out there. And whoa, that has grown a lot since then. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It becomes a, it becomes a habit. It becomes a practice. Um, and you, I, I think you maybe get addicted to it. You know, it becomes a, it becomes a thing you need to do just the same way you need to sleep and eat every day. You feel a hunger for it. If you don't do it for a certain amount of time, I used to feel that about painting, but didn't know what it was. So I could go for years without doing it in my thirties oh. and forties and, uh, just didn't realize what I was without, but was just grumpy without, it. um, and so, you know, once you, once you create the habit, you know, now, I, now if I go more than three or four days without trying or painting something, I you know, getting positively twitchy and I could tell, and you know, my family will sometimes tell me, you know, you need to go upstairs. Here's pen and paper. <laughs> <control>. <laughs> you go. 
go work it out. You're driving us crazy. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of that to the, to it after a while. Um, but, but the other thing is that you just, you become deeply convinced of what you've just been saying that you can do it in a five minute, five minute moment here, a 10 minute moment there, and that it's worth it. Cause I think that's, that's, that's the thing that most people makes them hesitate to try that, even try that. I think there's really more than two things, right? There's, there's resistance. There's, you know, being more in love with the dream of being a writer than actually writing. Um, you know, there's all that, but, but, you know, if, if all of those were set aside, he didn't have any of those reasons for not starting. There's just this belief that you really can't do much in five minutes. So why to bother, which, okay, maybe that's true, but. Um, something is still better than nothing. And, oh, you will be surprised how much that something matters once you start. And, and that's what the hundred days of blogging, you know, drills deeply into you is that five minutes and I got five minutes I can, or I've got this idea. I have to write it down. I will step into a closet and, and write it down if I need to, but I have to get this written. So you learn that. Right. And then the other is you don't, I don't think you realize how satisfying even just the five minutes will be until you experience it more than once, you know, until it becomes, until it becomes a habit. And it's, it's interesting. I am doing, um, something that's called data-driven fasting at the moment, which is super interesting, right? So I, I was teenage son coming back home. Um, I've been playing around with, with fasting, you know, doing like shortened window of when you eat, et cetera, et cetera. And, and being an upholder, the Gretchen Rubin for tendencies, I'm an upholder, which means I can live up to expectations that are internal or external. That works both of it, but. So I was kind of pushing myself because I was logging this in this app, right? <laughs> and then I found is like, and then I stopped after a hundred days, I stopped because it was like, okay, I don't need to do this anymore. I found some keys that were useful to me, but then I found, uh, two months ago or something, I found something called data-driven fasting, which is, so I bought myself a blood glucose measurement device. I prick my finger and I measure. So the thing is to do a baseline, to find your level of blood glucose, what it looks like in a day, you know, when you wake up, before you eat, when you're hungry, after you've eaten, you find a, a trigger. And if you want to lose weight, wait until your blood glucose is below this trigger and you're feeling hungry, then you eat. Right. If it's above, well, if you're really you know. hungry, okay, eat. But if you're not really hungry, wait half an hour, wait an hour, go for a slow walk, drink some water, you know, until you're under this trigger and eat. And it's been super, super interesting. But what I was going to say was it has also made me connect dots when it comes to food. So what makes me satiated what gives me that sense of being i'm not hungry anymore i'm i'm satisfied i can go for a long time so i've been playing and they help you with this so they talk a lot about the macronutrients proteins carbs fat 
energy now? What do you need? How much of it is do you need? What's in in you know what's where do you, where do you find proteins? You know, green leaves they're really protein rich. Who knew? It's like I didn't know that. So I've been playing with this and realizing that I'm I now one know that when my body sends signals, I, I, I kind of, I've gotten better at understanding what's the signal. What is it that I want? Uh, right. What you I, should eat, you mean? What I should eat. What does my body say? Please give me. I want this. I huh. want this, which has been really interesting. But this week I was at, I was at a client's office and they had a bun, a cinema bun. Like, oh, I really shouldn't, but oh, well, I had it. And so interesting because the signals that from the system goes, one, I don't really feel as good as I do when I've eaten something that my body wants to eat, right? This was my mind wanting to eat this. Like, it's like, ooh, cake and it's free, right? Yay, uh -huh. go for it, right? But also that when I eat this combination of, of fat and carbs, which is what a cinnamon bun is, the entire system just goes, give me more, 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 more. And it's so much easier to eat more just to kind of dampen this, I don't know. The, they call this craving, they call it Lizzie, the dinosaur, the, the, you know, it's the, <laughs> uh, what do you call it? The little reptile brain speaking, yeah. Lizzie waking up, right? Saying, give me more and more and more. So not doing that and eating a good meal based on these macronutrients, all of a sudden just has me, I can go without issues. So I've reduce the amount of snacking I do. You know, when you kind of go and, oh, isn't there something good in the cupboard and you just take something and, you know, eat a lot. So, but it's been that thing where I'm learning, I'm, I'm learning the system. I'm learning myself again. I'm finding out things about my entire system. And when I do, I want more of that. Uh -huh. And when I step out, my system says, this really wasn't a good idea, you know, <laughs> like, okay, but you know, get on it tomorrow. Cause we really feel better when you do, um, which is that thing, you know, where you start to do the five minutes and you will yeah. discover how important those five minutes are for you. Yeah. You want them in your life. It's the same thing here. It's like, okay, I'm starting to want to eat in this way because I just feel so much better. Right. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah. And the, I, I would, I would, there's one other thing I would say, I guess, to the folks who have the, I've, you know, I've always wanted to be a writer, but I don't have time people. Um, and that's that they may not want to be a writer, but that's the thing they have lodged in their head right now. And if they spend that five minutes every day writing, they may not get very far down that road before they realize, oh, it's not actually writing. It's this, or it is writing, but it's a very specific kind of writing. And 
actually, I can do that in my regular work or whatever. And it's, it's, it's astonishing to me how often we can get fixated, I think, on one idea of what it is that we want or need. And it's close, but it's not really the thing. And only by stepping a little ways toward that, a little ways down that road, do we get to find out, oh, 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 well, not, not this precisely. <laughs> right. And, um, and so I would, you know, I would, I would invite them that they maybe need to take some steps down that road just to see if it's real or if, if there's something else that actually might fit in their life a whole lot better, but this other notion is in the way. Yeah. Which goes with kind of everything, you know, when we get stuck on something, it's, it's blocking. It's a block. Nothing else yeah. can come through because yeah. it's there. You know, you need to yeah. act on it so that it can either lodge somewhere where it fits mm -hmm. in your life or get out of the way, you know, so that the next thing can come saying, it's time to do a Lindy Hop. Yeah, I want to dance, right? Okay, do that then. Try it out. See if or not. And then... Mm-hmm which again has us down this movement path of, of, of our last conversation. Yes. It, it also, it also brings out another thing that I've been thinking about on and off for the last several years, which is, um, this idea about being somewhat single threaded that we are, um, let's see, I'm back up a little bit. When I was reading Immanuel Kant in college and a seminar that was a, a, probably the course most over my head of the whole time I was there. Um, the chairman of the philosophy department at UNC was the one leading this, se this seminar. I was a graduate level seminar and I was an undergrad, but, um, there were some things in that that I still use to this day. And one of them was, um, he was talking about Emmanuel Kant's concept of, uh, being temporally discursive. He says people and angels are different from each other because angels are not temporally discursive. Um, angels have everything all at once. It's all now it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's just totally different. Whereas for humans, it's one damn thing at a time. That's the way we, that's the way we experience reality. It's, it's single threaded. It's one long string of beads, <laughs> right? And, um, I have been fascinated with the number of things in our lives that are like that, that are, are, well, as you said, it's, it's like something else is in the way. It's like a tube. There's only one thing in the tube at the moment, and you're not going to get to the thing past that unless you deal with this one. And I've been puzzled from time to time as to why this is, because it doesn't seem like it should have to be like that. We have lots of choices in other aspects of our lives, but there are some things that don't seem like that. They really do seem like you only get one at a time. You, if you don't deal with this one, you won't get the one behind it. It's and. The creative life for many, many creatives, from my reading of their, their diaries and work and thinking and talking with them. And, um, often that's the case with the creative life. The creative life, it's like, you get this, you get this thing to make and until you've done at least something with it, you may, you may not have to even finish it, but you have to do something with it. You ain't getting anything else. <laughs> Nothing else is coming until this one's done. Um, and that's been puzzling to me that it should be that way, but. It, it does seem to be at least for, at least sometimes. And for some people. Yeah. It makes you wonder what, what is the, 
rationale well, for that? Yeah, I don't know. Now, now that I've got, I, you know, I do, I do a decent amount of writing. I'm even doing a bunch of creative writing at the moment. Um, uh, a, a kind of interesting fiction that I'm writing. Um, and you know, and I paint and, uh, we garden and landscape the yard. Uh, these are, I, I cook, these are all creative endeavors in different ways. I find that each one of them has its own <laughs> tube. <laughs> it's all, it's all one thing at a time. They're sometimes connected to each other. And that's, what's really interesting is when I get stuck in one, because I'm not acting on something in, an, in one of the other ones, because something overlapped and there's a, there's a, something that has to be honored here before this can be satisfied on this other one. Um, doesn't happen very often, but when it does, it's fascinating. But, um, but in each one of these endeavors, I have a choice about whether I paint today or whether I write now or, but when I'm in that genre or that, that discipline. One thing at a time. Even yeah, if I have, it's a even if I have multiple paintings going at once, which I sometimes can, it's more a matter of, I took this one out of the shoot. Yeah. So this I, is the one. I got it this far and, oh, look, there's another one of the shoot now. Mm -hmm. So now I could do them both at once and I can mm -hmm. start this next one and come back to this one. But the, the new one coming in, I can't, if I don't do something with each new one, I will not get another one. No, no, like that. if you don't do that new one, that's waiting. There won't, won't be a second, away. there won't no. be a second new one, right? I can't, I, yeah. I don't usually have two notions at a time that are not acted on yet. They have to be at least brought out, brought out of the shoot and put on a table on yeah. something with yeah. them. Then the yeah. next one shows up, right? So I've had as many as seven or eight paintings going at once. And I know people like Tisha had 40 or 50 paintings going at once, um, almost all turned to the wall so that he wasn't seeing them at any one time. But I wonder if he also got them only one at a time, <laughs> right? You know, they didn't come like five at a time. It's like, oh, well, wait, 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 <laughs> take some notes <laughs> on, on these five things. It's because, like, you know, I'm going to have to get to them all, but I don't want to lose any. There are, I think there are people for whom there are comes to them that way, but that's not been my experience. It's been one at a time. Which is, I mean, since August of 2020, I've been doing my, my depth, uh, writings about shame and I'm up to almost 150,000 words there. I haven't written a lot of other things. I haven't been writing. I haven't been blogging a lot at all. And most of the things that I've written have been that. And there's, I have like blog posts that I should do that I just don't do because I write this thing instead. Right. And I haven't thought about it in this, in this way, but it, it kind of, it kind of feels right. It feels like this is, you know, cause this is where the energy is at the moment for me. So it's like, right. It also requires an active stepping out of that to do something else that is more on the should list, honestly, for me, yeah. than the I want to list. Yeah. This is the I want to. This is the stream of I want to. This is where I want to spend my time. Um, 
And for those of us who have spent, like you and I, so much of our lives following shoulds. Yeah. When you get to a place where you realize how much pain and harm that has caused yeah. to yourself and oftentimes to others around you as well, um, I know certainly it's the case for me, then you, you, you have an urge and um, I think some intelligence around wanting to pursue something differently and should become something you almost avoid, at least for a while. Uh, so I definitely understand that. Yeah, there's a lot of, there's been a lot of shooting and there still is some shooting, but a lot less. Uh, yeah. Yeah. A lot less. And again, like everything we've been talking about, right? Even just taking a small portion of your day or a few parts of your life and making them completely about spontaneity and about, yeah. about want and desire instead of should, um, can shed all sorts of light into other parts of your life. And you begin to modify them in ways that are helpful, yeah. healthy, um, I, you know, it's another, another one of these things like the writing, right? Where people, people feel like, well, I can't just stop doing all the things I should do. My life would fall apart. And it's like, nothing is that black or white, dude. You don't have to make everything just change a few. Th well, I don't know which ones to, all right, then don't change anything about your life. Find some little thing to add that's new and unsullied and untouched by should. Right. And it could be like, you're dancing, right? Do something that's just purely for the thought of it, purely for the, and then see how that modifies naturally. It'll tell you where you can make other changes then that are a little, a little more safe to make, or that uh, will fit more naturally into the pile of shoulds that maybe your life is made out of, you know, you can start to untangle that a little bit. Yeah. I gave a talk in Swedish uh, in the beginning of October where I spoke about musts. Uh, I spoke about, or rather, I challenged people to look at their lives and see what they could remove in order to make their life richer. Normally, you would think you add something to make it yep. richer. You add a yearly subscription to the opera or a summer cottage or a boat or, you know, three months in Thailand or whatever it is that you add, you know, a second house or a second car or a fifth car or whatever it is. Uh, but the challenge was, what can you remove that will make your life richer? And kind of what I was pointing to were the musts and the shoulds, you know, maybe you got yourself a boat because you so love being out on the ocean, but now that you have it, it has turned into a ton of shoulds. You know, we should really use the boat more often next year, because this year we almost didn't use it at all. And we really have to bring it out of the water now because winter is coming and the, you know, it's like. All of those things. It's like, I'm not saying don't get a, a boat or a second, you know, a second house or a summer house, but, but thinking about it and actually looking at what does it give me? How does it serve me? 
in my life, what does it bring and what does it remove? And, and just the words that I use around it, whatever it is, I have to write. No, but you get to. You get to, yes. It's like something completely different. So just, it was, and, and that talk, uh, it was recorded and it was just, uh, released. I just saw it last yesterday. So I was rewatching it and it was interesting. It's in Swedish, but, but it's, it was like, it's not, you know, that's a, it's a good thing. Just know and take stock. See what's there. One of all the things that I do that I have are still of service in some way to me and the yeah. life that I want to live, how I want, and does it help me show up in life in the way I want to show up in life? You know, there's a lot of questions that you can ask. Uh, yeah. just taking the time to do that now and again. Mm -hmm. That's a good yeah. one. Uh, one of the silver linings in the, the pandemic and all the shutting down and all the, our household is still very shut down. Um, you know, there's a new variant starting now, so it's going to be, who knows, but, um, one of the things we've noticed as a family is that we, of course, have spent no time in restaurants. We have not traveled much. When we travel, we travel to places where we can be very quiet, alone and secluded, um, because we have to maintain some level of quarantine is really the only safety that's sufficient for some of the health issues that we have at the house. And the result is that because we've not done all these things, we've not taken trips, we've not gone shopping, we've not, I mean, we haven't been inside a store in I don't know how long, right? We pick up things curbside, it's a pain in the neck to arrange and order it ahead. No spontaneous purchases that way, right? Because we've taken all those things that took up lots of time and energy and were very enjoyable, but they're not there anymore. There's all this space, this time where they used to be. And there's all this mental and emotional energy that doesn't get spent on that, that suddenly is like footloose. And it does different things now because it's left to its own devices. It's, it's given me an appreciation for, and an interest in the kind of boredom that children had during summer vacations and things when there were no devices and there wasn't any media, there wasn't the internet. And therefore, you know, and parents didn't have the kinds of playrooms full of toys that most kids in America, especially nowadays have. And, you know, we had a few things and we had the outside and we went outdoors and invented stuff to do because we were bored. And I look back on that now and I think I can't remember how that boredom felt and it was not pleasant sometimes, but I can remember all the things that it led to. And many of them were very rich and. Um, and that's what the pandemic has been reminding me of is that because all of a sudden we find ourselves, but you know, it's another weekend. We've only got the same five or six places we can go walk where it's lonely enough that we're, you know, are we tired of these places yet? And we find out not really no. what we've been doing is noticing more deeply why we love them or we've been connecting with them in a way that we wouldn't, if we had had to go back every week for like five weeks in a row, um, so there's a, that's, that's the big silver lining and it's very much in line with it, with your talk. You know, we've had to remove things Yeah, we were forced to, and it's made our lives richer in some ways. And that's been, that's been great to find. And I'm not sure we would have found it if we hadn't been forced. 
No, I think it's, it's, it, I mean, on some level you could, but, sure. but you have to choose. You would have to choose. And I think it's a choice few people would make or were making. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are people who do make that choice, uh, regardless of, of, of like pandemic and lockdowns and whatnot, but, but most people. And, and it, which also is interesting because it's like, you know, people who, who loses their jobs or, and I'm not speaking pandemic wise, I'm speaking like, oh, general, you know, or you break your leg, you have to be you right. know, off from work for a month or something. It's like right. those breaks, those shifts, those traumas, because they can be traumas too. It's like. So many times, not always, not at all, but so many times they do, again, there's that possibility of an opening. Let's put it that way. There's a possibility of an opening to yes. seeing, experiencing, finding out something that you did not have before. Yeah. What else yes. is there? Yes. What else is possible? Um, and, and I mean, I think many of us live kind of these 80% lives where, you know, it's kind of, it's okay. You know, it's good enough. It's like the marriage, the work, the kids, the social gatherings, the, the whatnot, right? It's like, it's okay. Which means that if it was really bad, you'd do something about it, right? But it's not, it's just, it's okay. It's 80% good, right? And then you don't, you don't have the, the drive to what could make this hundred percent good, right? What would it take for my marriage, my work, my whatever to be a hundred percent good, but you know, it's good enough. So you don't, if right. it were down at 10% man, you'd, you'd change be doing it. something, right? You'd change something. <laughs> uh, So it's, 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 and it's, and, and at the same time, as I'm saying this, I, I don't want people to think that, or you for that matter, to think that it's like, I'm not an adrenaline junkie. I'm not a, you know, it has to happen all the time, all the time, all the time. I can't spend any time alone or, you know, that's not the hundred percent that I speak. I'm not sort of speaking about energy peaking in all levels at the same time, constantly, forever and ever. It's like, oh my God, no, thank you. Not that. Uh, but, but there's something about this, this notion of of, well, it, I guess it is kind of getting stuck in a rut. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Settling. Settling for, and it's yeah. like, so that's why I settle for dreaming about becoming a writer rather than actually taking five minutes every day to write. It's like, it's a type of settling yeah. for yeah. where it's like, mm, no, that won't happen. So I won't even do anything to try it on, uh, to see what might be there. Um, 
I would go further and say that many of us, because of the 80% life you described, the 80% okay, we won't even let ourselves realize that we feel that 20% gap no. because, because we don't want to make the effort to close it. So we don't even let ourselves acknowledge it's there. No, we so, imagine it's a hundred percent. Right. So, so I think there's a, and all of this gets back to the same thing. It's about, it's about opening stuff, right? It's about opening yourself up to listen to where there are gaps or listen to little restlessnesses or things that you maybe would like to satisfy or places you'd like to explore. You have to be open though, to the fact that that's going to demand potentially some action from you in order to satisfy that. The fact that you even find out or realize fully that it's there may literally draw you right into trying to do something about it. And you, and there's a, some risk always entailed in making those kinds of changes. Your 80% could suddenly change into less than that when you try to add one more thing and it kind of collapses on you a little or somebody else in the, in the relationship doesn't like it or, but the idea that we could open ourselves up to find more, ask for more. We don't like to ask many of us, especially right. Are not askers. I'm not, I'm a terrible time asking anybody for anything. Um, you know, their, 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 their all kind of vulnerability is involved in this. I mean, this gets back again to all those really uncomfortable emotions for men in particular, right? You know, um, there's so much reward though in doing that, but it's not very easy or natural not the way we've been socialized, not the way we've lived our lives, not the way our heads have been put together. Um, it requires reassembling some things and it requires stepping out of our usual habits and doing something else for a while, even if it's for five minutes each morning, whatever. But, but it's, 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 again, it's about opening. It's about, it's about a type of awareness, letting yourself become aware that, oh, you know, there's this little bit of dissatisfaction. Is it a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or it's a, it's a hunger. It's a gap. You know, I'm not, I'm, you know, my plate never has that on it. My body wants that, but I've never put yeah. it on my plate. No, precisely, precisely. I will, you know, I put the other 80% on my plate. My body's 80% happy, but yeah. no, I they're all, it. they're all very similar and they all require us to pay attention to that little cry of desire or keening that might be going on in some part of us that we would just as soon shut up because it's going to, you know, once we acknowledge it, then we have to, we'll have to do something about it. I did a, I did a digital tank espion, um, set up with a coach client of mine where every week, the first time around it was every day. And then it was every week I sent, um, I sent a, a a piece of tank espion, like tailor made for this person, right? And I would get responses, written responses, and then I'd do something and maybe continue on a couple of weeks on that same thread. And then I'd throw something else in. And one of the things that I threw in was what's chafing in your life? Tell me about these. You know, I want to know where your chafes are. And my client did not want to go there, you know, signed up for, for Tankispian, absolutely sure. But just that chafing one, oh, it's like, no, please. Cause it is kind of like, you know, you open it 
and it will just pop up and you can't kind of keep it down and turn it off again. Um, which turned into a really interesting conversation between us, you know, a back and forth for, for a couple of weeks on this thing, you know, what's the, what's the resistance to even right. looking at the chafing, right? right? So it turned out really, really well, but, but it was just that thing. It's like, look at the chafing because those are valuable. Those areas are, are, you know, they are low-hanging fruit in a sense. There's something there. And maybe some of them are, you know, wouldn't take that much to, to tweak. To, no, they, to, you they know, maybe wouldn't. They maybe maybe wouldn't. they wouldn't, you know. It's like, okay, you can take off your shoe. You can turn it over so that the little pebble leaves and then there's no chafing anymore. Right. That right. might be it a good be, idea rather than just simple. keep on walking and getting, you know, a... a uh, uh, blister. a wound, a blister, and then it turns into a wound and then it won't heal. You know, it's like, mm, yeah. Or, you know, get at the chafing at the beginning before when it's just uncomfortable, before it started to turn into a blister, before it's starting to, to bleed and whatnot. Uh, so, and yeah. it is kind of on the same line of what can you remove from your life to make it richer. It's, it's kind of along yeah. the same line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're all, they're all, they're all a kind of listening. Yeah. We would, I think rather, we're more comfortable running and, you know, taking things on pell-mell. I mean, the, the idea that you make your life richer by acquiring more possessions, is just another form of running to me. When you mentioned that it was, that's, that's the image I get in my head was like, you know, people running headlong to the store to buy this and that. Um, and, uh, but not doing that and standing still kind of first lets, it lets your demons catch up. The ones that you've been running away from, it lets at least some of them catch up and then you have to deal with them. And, um, and then you find out maybe they're not so bad. And maybe even like in the case of anxiety, you know, you've discovered that there are a guy in a green bathrobe with mismatched socks and he's actually, he's actually okay. He's a little nerdy and he's actually kind of a friend. Now anxiety and now sit that I sit down regularly now and go through the knuckle bones and it's a friendly encounter. And, you know, I've actually thanked him. Um, yeah. I actually, I actually embraced it once. I was so grateful for the stuff that had come out of the knuckle bone section. So, um, so you can, you can get more used to this if you get started and, you know, again, that's another theme, I guess, of our talk today is that just start, just, just start. take a few minutes, just give it a, give it a beginning yeah. and you'll be surprised where it'll go on its own. And, and, and that is also in this day and age, the notion of, of starting and maybe not being good at it right away. Oh man. <laughs> Precisely. Oh like, man. Cannot. Yes. It's like, cannot. Cause if I start something, I can only start something that I know I will be good at the first time I do it. And it's like, Oh, that's just such a dumb cultural notion, but it is a really strong, oh, it's a really cultural strong notion. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. it's also a strong individual, personal notion, especially for those of us who are perfectionists. It's very, very hard to, to take on something that you've never done before. Now, I, my, my, um, late father-in-law, one of the most important lessons he ever taught me was that one by example, because he would try anything 
anything at all if he thought it was interesting. And I watched him try things in his 60s that in, in late 50s that he was like totally unprepared to do well and get knocked out his ass trying to do it and laugh yeah. because it was so much fun to have be that off balance. And, and I, I was flabbergasted. Here's a, here's a man who's very accomplished in his career, a person who's very much in control of things in his life, uh, a Finn, a very, a very reserved and, and not with his emotions. He was a very open man emotionally. He was a very expressive with his emotions. He was a, a incredible example as a father, but, um, but a man who was very reserved and very, you know, an ex-military man, very, very, you know, tall, upright stature. And he loved to get knocked off balance. And I found that flabbergasting the first couple of times I encountered it in him. And then after that, it was like, no, this is, this is great. And I've had a terrible time letting myself do it most of my life. But I often think back to those examples and I can, I can let myself go and I can let myself do something that I won't do perfectly the first time. Um, you know, that's, that's what keeps me from painting half the time, Elena, is the fact that I, you know, I get a notion for a particular painting and I, I'm not sure I can carry it off and I don't even start it. And the thing is that that whole, that whole little quick merry-go-round move mentally is so natural that I don't even know I've done it. I just know that I no longer have the urge to paint that painting. And I have to come back. And this is part of the beauty of the one thing at a time is that nothing else is coming. <laughs> precisely. So precisely. It's waiting there for going, you to pick it up. Yeah. Uh, I keep coming back to it, you know, and, and eventually I'll notice that I'm making that move and I'll be like, of course, I don't know how to paint that, but isn't that the fun? Isn't the fun going to be that I get to discover something new because I'm trying something I don't, I don't know how to do, you know? That's, that's, I think, where all the emotion was in that your comments about that being such a dumb cultural move. It's like, how does, how do you ever grow into anything new if you're not going to, right? So, you know, thank God our culture and many people in it have not behaved that way. Otherwise, there wouldn't be anything there. We would just be doing the same few things we always did well, which probably weren't much more than climbing trees and picking fruit. <laughs> We've come a long way since then. We have come a long way since then. Yeah. Maybe that's a good place to, to wrap this up. Yeah. Time-wise, I need to wrap it up. So, yep. Yeah. Thanks for today, Steve. I'm wondering though, have you gotten yourself a bar to hang on? I don't see no, any I in do the not, No, that's the one, that's the one thing on your list that I have not done anything with yet is the hanging piece. Um, I think of it often though, because, so it's very much on my mind. I will do something with it eventually. Um, there's a, there are, the, it's the holidays. So there's just every time it's, you know, time to do any kind of a chore. It's like, there's a long list. You should be doing something off this list. So, uh, but when the holidays are over in January, it usually gets very quiet and there's not mm -hmm. a lot of that kind of stuff going on. The gardens are all asleep. And I think that's probably when I'll be able to turn my attention to figuring out where in the house I can put something strong enough for me to hang from. Good. I definitely want to do it. And in the meantime, there's actually a place that you can hang from right now, and that's behind you. You can take a door post, a door frame, the kind of hat. No, the 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 one in there, that one. No. This. Well, your closet. Right yeah, 
You don't have to go up. You take it on the side and you just hang from the side oh. of it. Oh, so I'm, that that works too. So even sideways like, hanging works. You can do that. It's like I'm hanging. It's not the same, but it does give your shoulder something else. So just grab a hold of a oh. of, of, of the side of a, a door frame and just let yourself go. Um, that's a that's a start. That's a starting hanging place. See, and that fits oh. our theme. Our theme of you know begin begin small, just five minutes. See, once I start doing that, I'll probably then have an itch to do more, and that'll 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 make the you know that'll make the true hanging bar probably come. happen because then I'll be curious about well, if 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 just if just this gives me that, then what would this give me? Perfect. Well, a lovely Saturday night, and you have a lovely weekend. Um, thank you for this. This was a great way to start my day. And I look forward to the next.